there are two readings for tonight. Uh, the first comes from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in great generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for the sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The second reading comes from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is also is, is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Thanks, Rusty. There was a lot there, and you like powered through, got through it quick. I appreciate it. Uh, so this week, as I've just been sitting and meditating and reading over these uh, two chapters, so they're obviously 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, I've really been enjoying them. And I've kind of, like, one half of me has wanted to get up and not really say anything else. These, these passages are powerful, and what Paul says here is so rich. I feel like we could just sit and read and read and read again and again, and, and it would be worthwhile. But then the other half of me is really excited to share because... I really want to explore what this actually means for us, what this looks like in our lives. Uh, I I think there's so much here, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to practically get into what that actually means. But we're halfway through our 5G series, as Larry kicked off a couple of weeks ago. Larry started with grace, and I wasn't going to say this, but as we were just singing that song earlier, that chorus line, it's your breath in our lungs. For me, I was just singing that, and it's a beautiful idea, right? Even the breath in our lungs is pure grace. We haven't done anything to deserve that, but yet God blesses us again and again and again. And that's what Larry kicked us off with. First, grace. This overwhelming love that God gives to us. And then Jess last week kicked us off with gratitude. This attitude that we can have actually that overflows from the grace that we've been given. And then that gratitude overflows in generosity. And that's what we're looking at today. 
And let me start by saying that I've been feeling really discontent lately. Uh, maybe discontent is not the best word. Maybe it's unsettled or unsatisfied. Uh, I've been reading these stories of these Christians throughout history, not even that long ago, and something in me has been really restless. I read these stories and I feel so humbled. These people are so incredible. They have such amazing connections with God and I realize that I'm missing out. What I have just isn't enough. I want more. Maybe you know what I mean, but um, when we actually lay down our lives to pursue God's way instead, seeing these examples, it's beautiful. And all this started when I read the story of George Mueller. Has anyone heard of George Mueller? Oh, that's a couple. Nice. At high school, one of our like houses was like Mueller House. It was like the lame one. Was anyone? No, no one from City Hills? I think we were on something else, I don't know. Um, but Mueller's life is incredible. He lived in the 1800s, and this guy single-handedly took care of 10,000 orphans. Maybe not single-handedly. But during his life, he had a team of people together, and they took care of 10,000 orphans. For me, it's easy to gloss over numbers, but if you really think about it, that's 10,000 children, people that couldn't give you any money. They weren't able to take, take care of themselves in any way. They needed you. They were absolutely dependent on you. This would have taken a, a huge sacrifice, right? It would have taken a lot of money from him. So in my mind, it's like, was he a really good fundraiser or something? But if you read his story, he actually committed at the beginning of his life when he started doing all this stuff that he would never at any point ask people for money. He just said, hey, God, if this is going to work, you're going to have to make it work. Whatever you give me, I am straight away going to give to other people. It's this beautiful story, and it's a life of sacrifice. It would have been really hard. And reading through his biography, it's like check to check that he's living by. Money comes in and immediately goes out. But he did all this joyfully. He did all this happily because he was in love with God. Then maybe more recently, I shared this at Christmas Eve, but I read the story of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And that guy was incredible. This guy came from a privileged, upper-class, wealthy family, but he saw what the Jews were going through and he took a stand with them. He couldn't just sit by as Hitler did all these atrocities, but he decided that he would take a stand And eventually, as he knew, he got put in jail, taken away everything that he had. He spent 18 months in Nazi jails and eventually was executed. And again, he did all this willingly, joyfully, because he was amazed by God's grace. This grace led to gratitude that led to generosity. And as a life group, we just finished looking at Philippians. And Paul's life is this beautiful example, again, of this pattern Paul is so eager to generously spread the gospel that he gets put in jail, but his joy is profound. We read it again and again. I don't think I could ever read about anyone who was happier than Paul, who had more joy deep down inside, because he was simply amazed by how good God was. So I want to ask you, does your life follow this pattern? Does it? I know mine doesn't often. And that's a real challenge to know that when our lives look like this, that's God's plan and things start happening. We get connected. I've been reading these stories and I've been feeling discontent because I'm not as connected as I'd like to be. And I hope in a weird way this sermon, reading through these two chapters of Corinthians, lets you feel a little bit discontent as well. Because if you're anything like me, I don't want to get stuck in seasons of just getting by. 
But with all that kind of foundation, for me, this series is really practical, right? Uh, I want to change. I know what it could be look like to change. I know where I am right now. And, and this series is designed to get us there. This series is designed to help us connect more with God. Because when we're connected to the vine, when we're connected to God, things start happening. Fruit starts growing. Things start changing. And I really like how Larry structured these themes because, again, grace leads to gratitude, it leads to generosity. It's so obvious, but it's actually really hard to live out. Today, I want to talk about the idea that gratitude, sorry, generosity, true, genuine generosity is an overflow of gratitude. There's no other way around it. Anything else is fake. So with the rest of our time, we're going to simply look through these two chapters. I want to just walk through them, exactly what Paul says. I'm going to stop and hopefully make a few points. We're going to hopefully ask a few questions and and think about what this means for your lives. My hope is that you'll see how amazing it is to be connected with God, that we'll hunger to actually be more connected with God, and that we'll also see the pathway of how to get there. So let me just pray as we jump into it. God, I want to ask you that you would reignite passion in our lives. I want to simply ask that you would awaken us right now. Help us to see you. Help us to hear you. Stir up in us new hunger for you. From looking at this passage, may we know your character, your goodness, and your generosity to us. May we leave this place excited to live lives that show your generosity to others. May we reflect who you are. Amen. So like I said, I really don't want to be overly clever. I don't want to overly complicate this. I really just want to walk through these passages. So if we can grab the next slide. I don't have a clicker thing. It's going to be annoying me to keep telling you, but thanks, Dan. Let me give you a tiny little bit of context before we jump into the passage. Obviously, you guys are pretty smart. This is 2 Corinthians. It's the second letter that Paul's written to the Corinthians. They've had a little bit of communication before this, and Paul's telling the Corinthians, he's already told them before, that he's raising money for those in Jerusalem that really need it. Without this money, they're going to die. He's He's told them that he's about to send Titus, as we kind of heard about before, to come and collect this money. But before they collect this money, he's inspiring them with this picture of the Macedonians. And he wants to do two things. I've kind of given it a title here. He wants to look at what generosity is in the first chapter, chapter 8. And then chapter 9, he's talking about the effect of generosity. What happens when we're generous. Cool, so that makes sense. So we're going to look at what is generosity. And let me just read this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Maybe it's me, but in my wildly prosperous life, it's hard to relate to this sometimes. In the middle of a severe trial, can we just grab the next slide? Thank you. In the middle of a severe trial, they had extreme poverty, but their overflowing joy produces generosity. That's crazy, right? That feels backwards. They are so content, though. They have so much joy in God that they don't need their money. 
They're not that attached to it. They're happy to give it away. It's this pattern again that we're experiencing. Paul says it right off the bat. Grace leads to gratitude that leads to generosity. It's so simple right here. But really practically, what does this look like? And like I said earlier, again, I want to be careful because um, I once heard a pastor say to live or die for what the Bible says, but be careful about what anyone says about the Bible. Take it with a grain of salt. Think it through carefully. I want to share a little bit of my reflections. I want to ask some really practical questions for us. But I want, to, I want you to think this isn't necessarily what the Bible's saying. If you see what I'm saying is lining up exactly, great. But be careful. I want to make sure that you guys are taking wisdom to think about this stuff too. But when I read this, something stirs up in me. It stirs up this like question, how much do I spend on others and how much do I spend on myself? It makes me ask questions like, how many pairs of shoes do I really need? Do I really need to buy new clothes from stores or could I just live off Vinny's stuff? I, I probably could, right? It makes me ask lots of other questions. Do I need to buy a new fancy car? Sure, I can afford these things. But if I'm spending money on this, what am I not spending my money on? Do I need that new iPhone, that new laptop, those new headphones? How many times do I actually need to go out and eat every week? And I'm not saying that buying things is wrong. I'm definitely not saying that. But when we're buying things, are we thinking about the question, how is this increasing or decreasing my ability to love other people? That's really important. While we're, while we're buying things, are we thinking about how this helps us love or not love other people? What else could our money do? But it goes the other way too, and this is maybe a bit more scary for us. Sometimes holding on to our money can be just as not generous. In my mind, saving up for a house feels like a really responsible, good thing to do. I think a lot of us are saving up for houses, and it feels like a good thing to do. But have we genuinely, authentically said, hey God, what do you want to do with this money? I want to save it up, but what do you want to do with it? Would you be willing to give all your savings away if you felt like God was asking you to do it? Because in this last verse, in verse 5, if we can just jump a couple of slides, that last one down the bottom, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. What does it look like in your life to first give it all to the Lord? Are you constantly checking in with God what what? Are you constantly checking in with what God wants? Oh, thank you. I'll start flicking through the slides rather than yelling at you guys. I think there's enough. Thanks. Are you constantly checking in with God and actually asking him, what do you want with my money? Because that's so much harder, right? That's a way harder way to live, but that's the generosity that these guys are doing. When the need came up, they were ready to give more than they were able. That requires sacrifice sometimes. And I want to skip over to verse 9. It's a couple of verses later. Because Paul actually talks about the principle that empowers us to be able to be radically generous. In order to be generous, like I said, we need to be willing to submit everything to God. But before we're ready to trust God and say, I submit everything to you, we need to know what kind of God he is. Is he good? Is he trustworthy? And this is what kind of God he is. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty,